practice owners, have you ever thought about breaking out further into the world of healthcare real estate? Today, we'll teach you how to do just that. As our guest Trisha Talbot shares key things to do to help you step into healthcare real estate. Listen as she shares her knowledge and experiences of this little-known yet lucrative area of real estate. Private practice owners, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your practice so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while delivering better patient care? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Providers Edge podcast. I'm your host Sabrina Romback. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. My guests and I help providers like you control your practice, control your life, control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Do you have a financial security while running your private practice? Is this the only way that you actually creating income for yourself and for the people that are working for you on your team? Now, if you have watched the movie The Founder, you know that the McDonald's uh, founder Ray Kroc saw his franchises as real estate. Did you know that you can actually dig your own real estate gold mine, and you're potentially sitting on that gold mine? Right now, where your clinics are located, and that's why today I'm inviting Trisha to talk to you because she has been an expert helping investors and physician owners about opportunities in the healthcare real estate and creating assets from your real estate commercial clinics. And her track record in investment, sales, landlord representation, corporate representation, and tenant representation offers clients trusted experience with comprehensive strategies with pricing, marketing fluctuations, and problem-solving solutions that result in successful closing transactions. And that alignment in investment really requires property owners and physician investors working together with a corporate goal of the healthcare companies that occupy medical facilities that have made Trisha a leader in the healthcare real estate brokerage community. So I'm so excited for you to be here and to dive deeper into this topic for all the people that has been running their practices. And we know it's more than just being clinician, just being leader. You are more than just manager even. So there's so many people's lives, not just our patients, but all the entire staff that are dependent on us. So how can we create that financial security, not only for you as a business owner, but really for everybody else. So I'm so excited, Trisha, for you to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. So I wanted you to give us a little bit of background on how did you get here? Uh, why picking healthcare as a field and how did you get into the real estate space? Uh, well, I started my uh, commercial real estate career actually at a developer that just developed medical office buildings on camp, both on campus and off campus. And so I really started my 
my entire career in the leasing department there. And then I went to third-party brokerage. And um, and then I was most recently at a national firm before I started my own company, Doc Properties. And the reason why I decided to stay with healthcare real estate is I felt like I was really helping a group of people that needed it. And their space is there for a purpose. Uh, there is a demand for their space. I happen to live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is you know, just tremendous amount of growth and you know, more people mean that there needs to be more physicians to take care of them. We have, you know, ho- hospitals. I think there's been half the hospitals here have been built in the last uh, 20 years. And it's this, you know, just as population grows throughout the United States, there's, there just requires to be more physicians. And even if you are not living in the city, you know, there, you still have to serve patients, even if you live in a rural location. There is a lot of strategy behind putting a clinician in the building to serve their patients. And it's not just about finding the cheapest space wherever we can. There's actually a lot of thoughts and intentionality behind it. Key questions need to be asked to guide you towards the answers you need to form your business plan of investing in healthcare real estate. Where is somewhere that is within a reasonable driving time of where you live. Where are the patients that you need to see? Where can you go to make it easier for them to get to you? These comes the discussion of the type of building, how to manage it, fund it, and whether or not to seek out a healthcare real estate expert. Yes, they do exist. While most private healthcare practice providers don't want to become real estate experts at the end of the day. A lot of my clients do want to become investors in their own space or other healthcare space. This allows them to have some passive income and grow personal wealth. I highly recommend if you have some entrepreneurial goals beyond just clinical medicine, perhaps in real estate, is a good way to achieve them and make sure you partner with the right people that can support you to get there. If you like today's episode, please share with your family and colleagues who are healthcare leaders. They will appreciate you thinking of their growth because we're all paying it forward. Now let's get back to the rest of our show. So yeah, there's always a strategy behind putting a clinician in a building to serve their patients. And it's not just let's find the cheapest space wherever we can. There's actually some thought to it and intentionality where, you know, let's, where do you, I mean, some people obviously want to be within a drive time of their house, but it really is, where are the patients that I need to see? Where can I go to make it easier for them to to get to me? And, you know, that's when physicians start to expand because, you know, if they are successful enough there, they need to treat a lot of patients in a lot of different areas. So they really start to think, you know, where can I be located? And then you start the discussion of what type of building do I need to be in, how much space and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of, um, I think there's just a, a lot of strategy in it. And then, you know, the, the client that I, work with, which is, you know, healthcare providers, you know, their, their primary goal is to be a healthcare provider, not necessarily a real estate expert. However, a lot of them do want to 
start investing in their space. One, because of the amount of tenant improvements that they have to uh, put into a space or because they want to have some passive income or they want to grow some you know, some personal wealth and all of those can be achieved. And I, I highly recommend, you know, if they're, if they have some entrepreneurial goals, that this is one way that they can achieve them. Exactly. Well said. I just recently was talking to some of my friends who are clinicians of virus sword. One is a, a pediatric dentist and really thinking about creating a whole block of community of different wellness. Uh, have the ophthalmologist or optometrist have the primary care uh, doc there, right? It, and then once you own the piece of property, then you can create that specific wellness team and from individual who owns those uh, clinics for patient really is one shot. You have this whole small curated community, trust the community that refer each other out. And both is good for business from all these uh, people who are supplementing each other's care, right? For the whole family. And mm-hmm. as at the same time, when patient comes, um, it, it's just one drive, right? We know traffic, no matter where you go, is <laughs> is tough. Uh, it doesn't matter you're in the city or you're rural, you have to drive much further, right? Um, right. So if you have one location where you, your appointment is relatively the same back to back, then you don't really have to drive too far. Almost like a creating your own mini hospital or wellness center. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. what I've been hearing for some of my friends who has that entrepreneurial a spirit or have already opened up their clinic and thinking about how do I expand down the road. And same thing, even from a surgical side, I've heard uh, one of the uh, surgeons that I work with, he owns a building. So all the other subspecialties can be leasing out from this whole space of creating that medical building. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, in lease buildings, they call it den- like a, a tenant mix and it, you know, if the if the doctors really are re- referring to each other, I think it's better for the patient as well as you know patient for efficiency care, and um, you know they can. I think having that familiarity and that great teamwork, I, I think it can help with better patient outcomes. And then what you're talking about, uh, you know, those they're called sometimes medical centers of excellence or just wellness centers, where there's just a lot of healthcare providers in one. Uh, dense location. And you're right as a patient, you know, I think it's easier if you're like teeth cleaned and then my eyes checked and, you know, all of this, it's easier just to go to one place, have them, you know, schedule them uh, right next to each other. And then after that, you can go have lunch and then go do something else. So, um, you know, I I think it, I, I do see that, that trend happening. Right. So when most of your clients, investors and physician investors come to you, what's the first step? people really should think about? So they usually come to me, um, they're typically mid-careerists. They have some track record and either they're start, they're either wanting to go out into private practice or they've been in private practice and they're wanting to expand or they've been leasing space for a really long time and they're wanting to purchase their own property. And they get, so the leasing situation is interesting because typically a, a physician build out just, um, with the plumbing involved in a, in a traditional medical um, build-out is, is fairly expensive. 
So even if it's just family practice and then dentists are, are heavily, um, impacted as well. They have, um, they have, then they have gases and, and other things. Uh, if they do, if there's any sort of procedure rooms, dermatology, orthopedics, um, if there's a cath lab or just, you know, a cardiologist with a bunch of different equipment to do, um, different diagnostics. So, you know, you have the space that you're, it's not your typical build out. It's, it's a lot different than general office. It's not just, you know, uh, offices around the exterior and a bullpen of cubes and a break room. There's, you know, a lot of offices, a lot of exam rooms with plumbing. There has to be a nurse's station, you know, for your orthopedic, you typically have a cast room. You you have all of these procedure rooms for, for different specialties imaging or, you know, if you start getting into imaging and oncology, those are really expensive build outs. So when you're thinking about this from a business perspective, you're, you're thinking about the cost as a physician that you're going to put into the space and a landlord will provide some of the tenant improvement allowance, but they're not going to provide all of it. So you're still coming out of pocket a, a lot of capital. So you're saying, okay, I'm going to sign a lease and I'm going to pay for all these TIs. And even if you sign a 10-year lease at the end of 10 years, you don't own any of those improvements. You basically take your equipment and then if you, you know, if you want to find another space or, you know, typically what happens is you start running the numbers of finding a new space. And then a physician's like, you know, I just need to stay here, even if they're unhappy with the building, even if they need to grow and there's no more space for them. So you know, they, they come to me with, you know, what are my options? And, um, you know, a lot of them will just lease another space and, and that works for some. And, and sometimes it makes sense. Um, everybody's situation is very, is different. So I don't want to say that leasing is never not a good option. It depends if you need to be in a certain location and there's only four lease projects, properties, then, you know, obviously that's a business decision that you have to make. But if you're in a position to be able to buy the building, you end up putting more capital in in tenant improvements because you don't have the landlord's contribution, but now you're becoming a real estate investor as well. And so um, you can either purchase land and build a building, or you can find an existing building and rehab a lot of uh, medical providers. There's some old standalone retail centers that are no longer in use that they, um, they have done adaptive reuses. There's lots of different, and, you know, you can buy a little bit bigger building than you need, and then you can lease that out to a tenant, maybe even just an office user that is on a five-year term so that you eventually can absorb that space if you need to. But, you know, typically doctors look for visibility. They don't want to be tucked away in a project. So, you know, they like to have, so that's why retail is a little bit attractive is that, you know, they do offer visibility. They typically are built for signage. You know, physicians do want to have signage and they have the parking. So parking is usually key, but if it, if you can find all of those in a building, the small business loans, you know, a lot of uh, physicians are concerned about the outlay of capital and there's a, you know, the small business administration has a ton of loans that love physicians. And they, I mean, they have historically loaned up to 90% and then sometimes, you know, hundred percent during the pandemic, they waived a bunch of fees for a while. And that can, the, the, the loan amount that I think it, you can borrow up to $5 million. I mean, that can get, you're just a putting in one clinic or just buying a, a 
a moderately sized building, that's that's sufficient. If you want to go bigger, there's a ton of capital partners that focus on the healthcare real estate asset class, and they can, you know, share in the risk with you, and and you can co-own it, or they'll actually take the risk, and you're a limited partner. But you know, for the physician just wanting to be there, so there's there's a lot of ways that, that a physician can own the building depending on, you know, the risk that they want. And then once they do own it, you know, a lot of physicians are like, well, once I do own it, then I have to manage it. You can hire a professional property manager. Um, and again, you know, there's different structures that you can have if you want to have no day-to-day involvement or monthly involvement or quarterly involvement, whatever the case may be, you know, how you have it set up and how much management services you want to purchase. Um, there's, like I said, there's different ownership structures that you can do. And then once you do own it, I, I just feel that there's a lot more oper- options available for exiting that can be fairly lucrative for, for different healthcare companies. Right. And you brought up so many good points that and I think number one thing people is like, where I'm going to get the funding, right? Like, do I actually have to save up enough to even put in some and then borrow? Uh, how likely am I to get those loans? And then, as you're saying, like, even throughout pandemic is very welcoming for healthcare professionals. And then you can get these loans. And, uh, and those are as it can even be up to five million, and that can be enough for you to really get started. And some people might even wanted to talk to them, financial advisor or accounting, to even work things out so they can feel more secure, right? And as mm-hmm. all of us, right, the primitive brain is always going to chime in to say, "How safe are you doing this? How big a <laughs> risk are you willing to take so you can get that?" quote unquote guaranteed growth, but we can't always think about the guaranteed growth. We have to have a vision and then we keep growing that vision, getting to that vision. And what Trisha, you also mentioned, I think it was really awesome is that there are other management companies, right? No matter where you go, what type of property you have, they're always going to have management companies. For some physicians, right, we are very controlling, right? That's... <laughs> Remember, for those of you who know me, who talk about the 10 sabotaging tendency, it's one of those, right? We want to know everything about everything. And if we don't delegate, then we have no time for ourselves even. Nevertheless, the primary thing we actually want to do in our life, in our practice, right? So when you delegate, yes, you can set up, whether it's that monthly checking, quarterly checking, well, however short or long you want to have it. And then once you develop enough trust with certain people in a certain company, then yes, you can let that string of rope, let it go a little bit more. Uh, and you can create that more freedom so you can continue to build that security that we didn't thought that there is, right? Mm-hmm. And really at the end of the day, I think isn't it the best thing anybody can have is how big a vision do you want to create? You want to own the whole building, a whole front of retail store, one after another. So you create that entire community of specialty centers, uh, or you just wanted to have your own location and you franchise in multiple different area of town or city so you can grow, right? Don't you think that would be the, uh, the first start? And then it's about like, implementing that vision when they talk to people like you, the experts on how to make that happen. 
Absolutely. And and the expansion is, I think, the the biggest strategy that I, I think um, owning the real estate affords because you can, no matter how you own your real estate, the practice always has a lease and or it should on the building. And then you can sell that lease as an investors, you know, they're called sale lease back. So you, you know, you put a you put you sell the lease essentially along with the, the real estate. And then you as the investor can take those proceeds. You can even 1031 them into two smaller properties in two different locations of town and build up those practices and then, you know, kind of continue along this path. I mean, there's just so many options available once you start to get into the investing side. You know, you have to start with your risk level and risk tolerance and and have a business plan, you know, of how you want to see your future growing in that direction and then use your real estate to, to achieve those goals. Exactly. And one of the questions I always think is we know the residential real estate, every single city, it seems like it's crazy and you can't even hardly find your own house. There's a supply chain shortage. Do you see that happening in the commercial real estate as well? So I think for all real estate in general, real estate in as an asset class typically does always appreciate in value, no matter which asset over time. Now, different times there has been huge dips and whatnot, um, but you know, real estate is typically a long-term hold. You know, the commercial side was very healthy, just as as residential was very healthy through the pandemic, and and still is. And that was driven mostly. The residential side is driven mostly from interest rates. The healthcare real estate was driven because the occupancy rates stayed high. So for most landlords that owned healthcare properties, their occupancy rate, their the rent that was paid, they you know a lot of the investors I talked to is you know, mid nineties to, you know, high nineties for the amount of rent that they still received. And that is because they're, you know, the PPP loans helped um, these physicians pay for the rent and as, as well as they needed to be there. I mean, there was maybe in some municipalities, um, elective surgeries were put on hold for a brief period, but they came back. That's the beauty with healthcare real estate. It's demand-driven and mission-critical. Doctors have to see their patients in a building. Some, yes, some of you have expanded into telemedicine. No matter what happens in the world, we still need to touch our patients to be able to assess them in many different specialties. Telemedicine can help us to bridge some patient access issues, but it's a tool, cannot replace a physical exam. We can't not do surgery, procedures, physical therapy through telemedicine. We have to be able to put our hands on the patient to provide the tactile feedback. The necessity to be in-person has driven the success of healthcare real estate. Overall, real estate is a good investment for anybody as a long-term investment because even if the economy goes dip, it rises steadily over time. And that's the the beauty with healthcare real estate is that it is purpose, it's demand-driven and mission-critical. Doctors have to see their patients in a building. The, the doctors aren't going to go. Doctors can't work from home. I mean, telemedicine is a tool, but it, it does not take the place of a physical examination. You can't do surgery 
through telemedicine. I mean, there's, I mean, I know that there's robotics and stuff like that, but for the most part, surgeries have to be done in person. Even if you're going to, even physical therapy, you have to be able to treat the patient. So, so that has driven the success of healthcare, uh, real estate interest rates, I believe have been the driver for residential. Uh, and then there are other different asset classes, you know, have their different reasons for being successful or, or not, but you know, I think just overall, real estate is a good investment for for anybody long for, as a long term investment because you need to be able to have a horizon where if it does dip, that you you see it through. Right, correct. Uh, I'm a advisor in the digital house platform, as many of you know. Yes, since COVID, all of us need some type of virtual telemedicine component, but that's not going to fill it all, right? That just mm-hmm. hey, if you need something quick visit so I can decide if you really should see us in the clinic, right? Whether that's a video or phone call, that capability allow us to give patient increased access to care, but it's not going to be taking away our physical location need. And you're so right, Trisha. When we are in surgery or even just minor surgery, we still wanted to see the patient, how well they're functioning, right? See them actually walk into the door because you can't assess that when people are in their house. Yeah, maybe in front of their camera and they can stand up, but how many people actually can adjust the camera correctly? Right? We do this on camera all the time because we're professional speakers too, and we know how to do this. Just like right now, I'm traveling, but I know exactly how to set up my lights and whatnot. But most people, average Americans, especially the elderly, no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, can you see me, right? Like It's more <laughs> difficult. So we have to see people in the office to see how, wound, how their wound is healing. I can actually put my hand on them and there's no underlining issue, right? So it yes, we would not be able to completely get away from having the physical location. And even beyond medicine, chiropractic, you, you mentioned physical therapist, occupation therapy, and even uh, and dental is definitely a big thing, right? They have so many procedure-based of uh, visits. So yes, we, we definitely need those to be in place. It's not going to go away. However, yes, digital health can help us to get us to thinking about how well our patient are doing when they're not in the office. That's why we are using digital health platform. And that's why we can actually build higher with digital health uh, technology, but it's not going to replace it. Right. And then right. some people's like liability issue. What liability? We actually know our patient better. So then you can funnel back into seeing them in the office. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, I think we've gotten, um, spoil- I mean, I think it's great for, for, you know, just a, a pre kind of like a first conversation or just like a quick post, um, like you said, just to kind of see how the patient is quickly, but you know, that the appointments that you have for exams or procedures, you know, those, those are not going to be replaced by in-person at all. Right. Exactly. So we still very much needing that physical location. It's definitely something really people should really look into. You mentioned the PPP loan. And then on top of that, for many practices, I'm sure you're not just using contractors. You have W-2s. So for those who haven't heard of ERC loan, the employee retention credit, feel free to reach out to me. Those are really things that can give you money back so you can run your practice. And the government have these incentives and ERC is the 
not even a loan. They're actually credit directly funding to you. So all these things actually are helping us to get to the next phase, right? Get over the hump. And then even you have been growing, you have been making a good amount of revenue for your practice, you can still get these assistance. So uh, don't feel like you couldn't get to that or feel this fairness of what if I don't have enough. Um, There's always possibility, always solutions. Love it. So we know that we're experts in many things. It's hard to be experts in everything. And that's okay because we're human and it's not fun if we're all saints, right? Saints probably all have different things they have to think about. So, Trisha, I'm not sure if you remember, I asked all the speakers to do a quick whole life assessment. And when you're thinking about your whole life in these key 10 components of physical wellness, mental fitness, family relationship, social support, career development, financial intelligence, spirituality, life mission, and lifestyle and personal growth. Of all of these things that are truly important to us, right? Of course, everyone has a different ranking for which one is the most important. But if you think about taking everything into consideration, which ones you feel like, oh, those are my default. Those are always leveraging on. And versus there's a couple of things that I wish I can uh, have more or work on more. So this is probably not an answer you're looking for, but I, I honestly think that sleep and eating not processed foods and having healthy relationships where you, you know, at home, I, I think those are, I would say my key pillars, because I know if one of them are off, then my stress level typically goes up. So for me, I can't eat a lot. I just don't like a lot of processed foods. And I and when I start to deviate from that, I, I feel horrible. And I, and I think that, so I guess physical and mental health might be what I kind of sum up as the, as those have to be in check. And then the rest of it, because without those, you can't appreciate. I, I feel like it, for me, it's it's hard to appreciate and think about the rest if I'm sleeping horribly and eating horribly and my personal life is a mess. So, you know, for me, it's important to spend a lot of time to make sure that those are always consistently in a good place uh, so that then I can go and attack the other valuable parts of my life. Yeah, it's Right. Like is the your you see yourself as the vessel being, right? The more that you can be optimized for yourself in the physical mental space and uh, you know your family is so important, right, back home and that relationship part, then the more that you can give out for everything else in your life. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And I know people are going to have a lot more questions about this topic. How do they get into it once they start thinking? Maybe they already talked to investors to help them or they're already speaking to different banks and what to do next, right? Like uh, where is the best location, whatnot? How can people get contact with you to have more of an in-depth discussion Absolutely. Um, the best way to reach me is email. And I say that not because I don't want to give my phone number out. It's just that I'm typically on the phone. And so when people call me and I have to, they can, they can leave a message, but if you email me and we, then from there, we can schedule a call pretty easily, or you can say, Hey, I'm available this time. And I'll just give you a call. But uh, so my email is T Talbot, T T A L B O T at doc 
Properties, DOCproperties.com, which is the same. Um, my website is docproperties.com. If you can, you can go on there and see how I've helped other uh, physicians and a little bit about my track record. A lot of, you know, people want to know who you are and what you've done before they talk to you. So go, that's why I created the website. So go there and then take a look and see if anything that I've done interests you or is something that you might want to do. And, and then uh, send me an email and, and we'll get on a call pretty quick. Perfect. Yeah, definitely reach out to her if you start thinking about expansion when you're at that level, or if you wanted to have uh, your team start growing so big that you can create a second location. And whatever that really means to you, have that clear vision, look Trisha up from all the other projects that she has been working on, her team's result, and have that conversation, right? I truly believe that we all can have every single version of success. As long as you know what that is, you can find the right help to get you there. So I so appreciate everyone for joining us and until next week. Bye guys. In today's episode, we discuss key things to consider if you're thinking about jumping into the world of healthcare real estate. To recap, number one, Choose the location of your practice with intention. Proximity to where you live as well as price are two primary factors to consider when choosing where to put your own practice. But even more importantly than that, you need to first ask yourself two questions. Where are the patients that I need to see and serve? And where can I go to make it easier for them to come to me? The closer you are to where your patients live, the more often they'll come to see you when they need a treatment. Number two, consider what type of building you need to fit your vision. This depends on what type of physician you are and what services you provide. The more services you provide, the more staff you'll have and the more patients you serve, the bigger the space you will need. It also depends on whether you are building or moving into a space that already exists. If you are someone who is looking to purchase a building to lease to another physician, one great idea is purchasing a plaza or block of different suites that can house different types of providers. Think dentist, ophthalmologist, ENT, primary care, cardiologist, so that the patients can see at the same time, on the same day, multiple different providers. This can be especially beneficial for all parties. Since it is convenient for the patient, the physicians can refer to each other and is likely already in a high traffic area. Number three, there are grief funding options out there. This is often people's biggest worry when it comes to getting into healthcare real estate. Luckily, healthcare real estate has proven to be lucrative and lasts through tough economic times. There are a lot of capital partners that focus on specific category of real estate that could share a risk with you by co-owning. The Small Business Association is also a great resource for loans and grants and the employee retention credit can save you some money too. Number four, decide how you will manage the property. Like a lot of tasks when you own your own business, 
outsourcing freed up space and energy to focus on more important things. Delegating the management of your building or buildings is a no exception. And this is especially helpful if you don't come from a real estate background. You can choose your level of involvement in the management of your property and the level of management services you would like to coordinate and pick according to your budget. Number five, seek out a healthcare real estate expert. Healthcare real estate experts are very niche and they are out there. They work specially with healthcare real estate so they can provide guidance on all the above matters. They are also always on the lookout for the perfect place that could just be your next practice. Doc Property is one of these specialized companies that can help people just like you to find their dream building and you can learn more about them on the Provider's Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You're listening to me right now. Odds are you're frustrated by how healthcare practices are running today. I'm with you. I'm looking to change the conversation that we're having in this field. It starts with me and it starts with you. I want to connect with you and get to know your own struggle or challenges within the healthcare industry. Visit sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect where you are going to find all of my social media platforms. Feel free to send me a direct message. If you like me, prefer speaking, then you can record a voice message on the page. So come to sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation. Hi, my name is Dr. Allison Lazo Pacheco and I just finished my six weeks with Sabrina not too long ago. So um, I feel that my experience is really, really unique because I started with Sabrina when I was still finishing up chiropractic school and have gone through it during my break and I'm now a practicing doctor. Or everything I've learned and she's taught has been applied at different levels and portions of my life and I feel like I can continue to grow and develop these skills in the future. So come to sabrinarumback.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation.